everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to the 60th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, this is Brian Nemhauser, um, and I'm coming to you from Philadelphia, of all places. Uh, my first trip to the, the city of brotherly love. Um, we might have a few minutes to talk about uh, experiences here, but we've got a lot to cover on tonight's show. You may or may not have heard that our quarterback signed a new extension, uh, our best defensive pass rusher was traded. Uh, we've got the NFL draft coming up tomorrow. We've got new picks to deal with and to potentially keep or trade. We've got Jaron Reed and Bobby Wagner and other topics to cover. It's going to be an awesome show. I've been looking forward to this uh, really for a week um, when I knew we were going to do this show and got even more exciting yesterday when all sorts of fun news broke. So lots to cover today. We are also going to be doing a second show within the same week, Sunday night, post-draft. We will be coming to you at 8 o'clock Pacific time to talk about what happened in the draft. And by then, we'll be not only through with the draft, but there will be undrafted free agents and uh, uh, you know all that stuff will be starting to happen. And Evan's asking me if it was Saturday or Sunday. It is meant to be Sunday, Evan. So if, oh. if that's a challenge for you, let me know. But that's, that's it is the, not. I just have to update my extremely busy calendar. I have millions of people pulling me in different directions. So I will make time for okay. you peasants. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Evan. Thank you. Um, so yeah, a lot of good stuff. Um, uh, if you haven't already, Please take a second, subscribe to the pod um, on YouTube. Very easy to do. Click the button. takes a second. Uh, it's a really simple, quick thing you can do to help the show. Um, also, if you haven't already, leave a review. It's a really quick, free, painless thing to do that if you leave a review, you can just star the, the thing, tell us how we're doing, give us feedback. That's super helpful. And it's a way to grow the show as well. So those are two quick and easy things. If you want to do a little bit more, um, sign up at patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Um, you know, we've got a private Facebook group. We engage with the, the folks. And we're actually starting conversations about how we can make it even more, uh, you know, fun to be part of the, the Hawkblogger community this upcoming season. So now is a great time to get in. And uh, we'll be happy to have you there. So uh, last thing I'm going to say before I introduce the folks is uh, we are a vol all-volunteer crew, as I think most people know. We donate all the proceeds we get from the show and add even more to that when we donate to charity. And 
Um, you know, we, we this year uh, just made our donation. Um, it's $20,000 this year that brings us to over $120,000 that we've donated to Ben's Fund since we started. Really cool, really excited, uh, making a big difference and, and you guys helping out connects all that together. We are, you know, all super busy as well. And so one of the things Will Cornell um, from Rain, at Rain City Series has been doing our production. He does all the editing and, you know, video work and audio work and posts it on SoundCloud and all that kind of fun stuff. And we want to do more and Will's got a lot of stuff going on. So we're actually going to hire somebody. Um, I'm uh, looking right now and just started posting on social. But if you've got some interest and talent, it's not particularly like complicated, but if you have some interest and talent um, in that area, uh, let us know. Reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to me at uh, brian at hawkblogger.com, B-R-I-A-N at hawkblogger.com. Uh, send me a note and you know either Will or I'll get back to you and we'll uh, see if we can find someone that can help not only get the show posted quicker and, and uh, you know, but maybe some cut up a little bit, add some clips, um, help people find it, all that good stuff. So that is all the pre-programming. Let me introduce and bring the, the guys into the show. Uh, Evan, you already had your moment, but uh, at Evan on HB, welcome to the show, Evan. Thank you. We got tons to talk about. It's going to be fun. It is. It is. And uh, we've got not one, but two Nathan Ernst showing up on screen now. He has just rejoined at NathanE11 on Twitter. Nathan, are you there? I am here. I don't know why there's two of me, but I'm here. Well, you know, there's there's never enough Nathan to love. So we we're two having Nathans, two Nathans for two first round picks. That's how oh. it works. Yeah, there I don't go. know that I'd spend a first round pick on Nathan quite yet. Is that hard? Maybe if he was a We're running back. Uh, no, yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely more of a mid-round pick, so I think that's fair. Okay, all right. Well, I, I didn't want to offend, but I, I, I have to keep it as real as possible on Real Hawk Talk. So, uh, fellas, man, and by the way, uh, Jeff Simmons will be joining us a little bit later. He's got some work stuff. God forbid, you know, anyone has life outside of this podcast, but... Uh, where should we get started? I think, you know, obviously if we took it in order chronologically, we talk about the Russell Wilson contract. I kind of feel like that's not where my mind is right now. And if you guys are okay, I'd like to start with the Frank Clark news. I mean, like, I think the typical thing on these shows is keep some of that stuff later so people stick around. Screw that. Like, let's talk about it. Um, let's start with you, Nathan. What was your reaction immediately after you saw that the news broke. And let me repeat the news for people that somehow might not know. Frank Clark was traded to the Kansas City Chiefs for their first round pick, which was uh, 29, um, as well as a 2020 second round pick and a swap of their third round pick for the Seahawks third round pick. So the, the Seahawks actually moved back in the third round. Um, the Chiefs moved up. Um, and they got Frank Clark and signed him to a big deal, um, larger, I think, than Demarcus Lawrence deal, uh, third behind only, I think, uh, Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald, if, if I'm if I'm correct. So when that news all broke, um, what was your reaction, Nathan? Uh, I mean, immediate reaction was shock. Um, this has been kind of talked about for a while. Um, CX Twitter, of course, has talked about it um, quite a bit. Uh, I didn't actually think it was going to happen. So 
I was pretty surprised, um, although it did seem like the, the heat was kind of turning up on it. Um, uh, but then after that, I was I was really happy about it. Um, I was initially against trading Clark. Um, the more I kind of looked into it uh, in terms of his pressure rates and, and stuff like that, um, he wasn't quite as good as I thought he was. I, uh, it came out today that the, the Chiefs have him as the second best pass pressure in the league, um, which I wasn't even quite that high on him um if you look at it in terms of pressure rates which tends to be more predictive than sacks and stuff like that um he's kind of in a tier or two below um like it's second or third third tier um pass rusher and so uh i changed my mind on it and i, I was pretty adamant about trading clark um i would have actually been happy with uh maybe just a straight up a, a second rounder so the terms of the deal were fantastic i thought um even if you are a big clark guy i think you have to be happy with the first round pick and a second round pick um so yeah i was i was really happy about it i think it's a great job by schneider and then when the contract details came down it just made it all the better yeah evan um maybe you can start with with uh, your initial reaction and then talk to us a little bit about your reaction to the contract um so first the trade and then the contract well, so no kidding. I was taking a 10, 15 minute nap when the trade occurred on Twitter and I woke up to my phone buzzing like hell and people texting me, why did we trade Frank Clark? And then I saw the compensation and I was flabbergasted. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to put it except John Schneider absolutely finessed the Chiefs. I, I, a first and a second round pick, just like Nathan said, you know, so many analysts, so many pundits were talking would it just a straight second round pick work? Like what would, what would get, you know, him from the Seahawks and it ended up being a first and a second. So, you know, when you consider the, the, you know, the, the few draft picks we had this year and, you know, whether it be from the Sheldon trade, Jeremy Lane screwing us in the Dwayne Brown trade, like this is a big, big deal to have this draft am draft ammo, two first round picks. This guarantees that, you know, I wouldn't be so. What do we have? Like five or six picks right now. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up picking like eleven times. John Schneider's gonna have a lot of fun tomorrow night. And what about the contract um, the, that Frank got? What was your interpretation of that? Yeah, so it was initially reported actually as better than Demarcus Lawrence, but it's actually not. It's like five hundred k cheaper per year than Demarcus Lawrence with five hundred k annual bonuses for hitting 11.5 sacks per year. So if he hits 11.5 sacks per year, he'll get that annual 500K bonus, which then if he made, you know, if he hit that every single year of the five-year deal, it would be more than DeMarcus Lawrence over time. However, I mean, it was like $39 million fully guaranteed at signing, 63 million total guaranteed. You know, this is the DeMarcus Lawrence deal, essentially. It's big money and it's frankly something I don't think the Seahawks ever came close to paying. Yeah, we talked about this before, you know, before the trade came down. In fact, I posted a clip today that, that Will cut up for us that I think was from our last show. Um, yeah. And we've been talking about the potential of trading Clark and honestly also Wag Bobby Wagner. I think we're the only show that's been talking about that with any seriousness um, really since the season ended or right around then. And that's been a Nathan and I thing that we've been talking around a lot of people hate us for bringing it up um but there was you know i, I don't want to toot our own horn but I, um i think there was some prescient stuff in that 
um, clip, we talked about that one, Nathan brought up the, the points around the pressure rate and what was going on there and where Clark really fit. And Nathan had, had flipped from being against trading Clark to being for primarily on that point. And I talked about how the right time, the best time to potentially do this trade would be immediately after signing Russell Wilson, when the rest of the league would not be able to assume that, hey, if Russell Wilson had not been signed, the motivation for the league to really pay top dollar, like in top trade value for Frank would go down because their assumption would be the Seahawks are going to have to let him go next year because they're going to have to franchise Russell. But because they were able to secure Russell, now all of a sudden there was no guarantee you're going to get Frank next year um, without making a trade for him. That turned out to be pretty true. I mean, it, it was like bang, bang, domino, domino um, falls. And I think Jeff had some really great points about, you know, the team was be, was in a uh, a state, I guess, of um, how did he put it? It was kind of a bit purgatory. It was like it, his comment was that this is like a nine or ten win team that has some mega contracts to hand out um, for Russell because we didn't know that at that point what he was going to get. Frank, Bobby, Jaron Reed, which we really haven't spent enough time talking about. I want to spend some time talking about him too. And he his point was, you know they probably have to move somebody in order to get out of this rut, you know, potentially. And rut in this case means that they were kind of within a swim lane and, and their chances to really reload with young talent and cheap talent. It's going to have to come through the draft and they were going to have to give somebody up to do that. And this is my long way of bringing it back to, um, and by the way, Evan had a great point in that as well. He was talking about that. Frank's kind of a guy that a lot of us, I think, see, and I think the Seahawks men potentially see as a as a good player, $15 million a year player, $16 million a year player that wanted to be paid like a great one um, at over 20. So I think all good points all around, but bringing it all the way back, you know, the reason that I, and I think, I don't want to speak for Nathan, was uh, fond of a Bobby Wagner trade is because he's at the top of his game. He happens to be a little bit older, and if you could get, you know, meaningful draft capital back of any sort for him, you know, you're probably gonna, you know, want to do that, assuming that you're gonna keep a younger player in Frank Clark. What the Seahawks ended up doing, I think, they looked at who they had left to sign and make a decision on, and they found a player that there was the most demand for. And I think that there's no doubt that Frank Clark was a guy that had a market it clearly like developed there's multiple reports are that the the jets were willing to give up the third pick in the draft swap with the seahawks at 21 in order to take frank clark i want to throw that back to you guys in a second for you know which deal would you have preferred and why so so start thinking about that but they were able to turn a guy that wanted top dollar into multiple draft picks um and clear 20 million plus in cap space for five years, right? Like that's really, really significant for how this roster is going to be built, how this team's going to be built. This is a pretty tectonic shift in how this team is going to be um, assembled in the years to come. And let's not kid ourselves. Frank Clark's a really good player. He was, if not the best defensive player on this team, he was right up there. He, there's a massive, massive drop-off from him to the next best edge rusher on this roster. So the Seahawks are a much worse team right now than they were the day before they made this trade. 
Um, that's real. And I think we got to acknowledge that. But I'll tell you my reaction, why I've been bullish on this from the get-go is, I think the Seahawks made the courageous, smart move that's going to help them be a much more sustainable contender um, going forward. They're going to have to make good draft picks, but at least now they have a chance to be more than a two or three person team, um, you know, uh, in terms of how their salary cap is, is, is going about. So um, Nathan, back to you, you know, knowing what, what at least has been rumored that the Jets were willing to give up the third pick in exchange for the 21st pick and Frank Clark. The third pick, I mean, I don't know how people know, but if you look at trade value chart, the third pick is worth a ton. And that could have potentially been turned into a bunch of other picks or a lot of stuff could have picked an elite player. How do you go about evaluating whether, you know, internally you would have been more excited for the Seahawks to get that trade versus what they ended up taking? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a from a trade chart perspective, the number three pick is significantly more valuable than what they got, um, which makes me skeptical um, that it uh, really was an offer. I mean, in that they would have had to swap up from three. So um, they wouldn't have been getting an extra pick. They would have just been moving from 21 up to three. Right. Um, I imagine that there was something else that was a part of that where Seattle would have had to send a next year second or something, because that's just, um, it's a lot and it's really, um, it, it's, it's just significantly better than what they got from Kansas city. So, um, you know, the, the, the possibility of them either sitting at three and getting, you know, a top tier talent or more likely engineering a few trades back, um, and recouping some picks that they're missing this year. Like it just would have given them a lot more value. So I think that that the, the, the deal with the jets as it was reported is better. I'm skeptical that that's real, that that was really on the table. Are you, are you seeing that? Like um, if you subtract the third pick uh, value for the 21st pick and looking at those, the trade value points for that, you're looking at yeah, that so, compared to what the, the Seahawks got in exchange, and there's a, a significant difference there? Yeah, so at least by the trade chart I'm using, I'm using the draft draft tech one, um, it would have been a 1,400-point increase. So the pick at 21 is worth 800 points. The pick at 3 is worth 2,200 points. So that's 1,400 points that they would have um, been on the positive side for. You're basically trading them for 1,400 points of, you know, draft trade value. Um, the pick that they got from Kansas City is worth 600 points, and then they got a second year, a second round pick next year, which um, if you do the whole, you know, one round adjustment for a year out, um, assuming it's the, the first overall pick in the third round, that's 260. So that's like, um, what is that, a thousand? So it's a 400 point difference. That's significant. That's you know, basically, if you believe that they turned down that Jets deal as reported, then they basically took, you know, uh, they basically lost, they chose, um, they basically lost the second round pick in that. The, 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 the Jets deal was worth a full second round pick more than the Kansas City deal that they, they got. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really skeptical of that as reported that it's just a straight swap of the picks for Clark. Um, that There had to have been more there because that's, I don't understand why Seattle wouldn't have taken that. Yeah, I think yeah. You have to assume there's probably more pieces that Seattle was giving up maybe to make up that difference. But go ahead, Evan. 
Did you guys notice anybody else echo that report or confirm that report? I, I'm not I'm not discounting the source because I forget his name, but Mike, I think, has been super reliable in the past. Um, but I, I just didn't know if you guys had seen anybody who had echoed that report. I mean, there had been uh, a couple reports that the Jets were talking with the Seahawks and that there was a real discussion. And there was a Jets reporter that had come out saying that Mm. Um, the Jets that the Seahawks wanted the third pick and the Jets weren't willing to give it up. So um, I think that that's one thing I saw. But <laughs> for the sake of you know discussion and fun, I mean I think it's it's worth kind of considering that option. I, I, you know, Evan, let's say for a second they, that it was a real deal and and we don't know what else they would have had to potentially give up to make it real. If they had the third pick in the draft, would you have wanted them to keep that pick and draft like Quinn and Williams or like one of these potentially game wrecking blue chip franchise defining kind of players? No guarantee he's going to be that, but but that's the kind of player that could be at the top. Or would you have wanted them to turn that pick into, you know, a lower first round pick and a, maybe a few seconds or, you know, uh second and few thirds, whatever, um, that would have been worth. Where would your head you, have been? You have me really conflicted because that's a really good question. Um, God, considering the lack of draft capital we have this year, I would tempt to, I would be tempted to say like slide down a couple spots and pick up like a third if you can or something in those middle rounds. But, but if somebody like Bosa is there or, you know, like you said, Williams or some elite blue chip player, it would be super hard for for me to for me to you know root for this team to to trade down. It's just the Seahawks haven't picked that high in you know a decade, so it would be super tempting for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I I'm pretty sure whatever my preference would be that the Seahawks would trade that pick down and and populate their draft board as much as possible. Now, if they had, if they hadn't completely blown their draft board through a bunch of bungled moves um, in the past few years, then I think, man, that that would I think staying at three. There's some amazing things you can do there. And one of the things that's amazing about being up at number three is you can trade down to like eight or nine and and get you know an amazing player and populate your draft board. So, I mean, it would have been really, it would have been fun to see, um, to be that high in the draft, but I don't want, I don't want to come across as uh, not being excited about what they got. I mean, to your point, Evan, um, I don't know that anyone was really predicting that they were going to get the haul that they got. And typically I've heard some questions about this. Like it is not a 2019 second round pick. It is um, a, 2020 it's a next year pick and typically the way that's worked um is that a future pick is worth about the equivalent of a round later this year so a 2020 second round pick tends to be worth or valued similarly to a 2019 third round pick um in terms of, of how teams think about it so you basically go up around um by being willing to wait a year for um, for that compensation, would either one of you have preferred a 2019 third over a 2022nd? I'm curious about that. 
not Kansas City's 2019 third. I mean, where was that? It's That's almost a fourth rounder. They've got yeah, two, two thirds at the end of the third round. Yeah, yeah. So no, I I think going the the next year second is the right move. Um, going back to the whole thing about that Jets thing too, about whether they should have if, if they had done that deal, would they should they have stuck at three? They absolutely should have traded down because again. The, those top picks are valued so highly. They could have traded down to 10 or 11 with Denver or Cincinnati, who both theoretically could want a quarterback, you know, very possibly. Um, and in return, they could have gotten a second, a third, and asked for next year's 20, uh, a, a next year a second round pick, which they got, you know, in the deal with Kansas City. So you'd still be picking at 10. You'd have a second round pick, a third round pick this year, and a second round pick next year. The values... Uh, unless Seattle, like unless this, the draft, the trade chart, which has held up pretty well, um, is, you know, significantly changed and teams just aren't valuing picks that way anymore. Or, uh, you know, uh, unless Seattle was just confident that they couldn't have found a trade partner to move back from three to not take that deal and, and have that kind of flexibility would have been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're now set with, uh what looks to be i think 11 picks for next year is that right uh wasn't it 11 before the trades so i think they're at 12 is it 12 yeah yeah <laughs> and they, josh and, Snyder is streaming and, and there's four that's assuming they get the four comp picks that, that they're projected to get um yeah I, that kind of leads me down this path of of you know let's talk for a second about about what we think could potentially happen um, to populate this draft board. Um, and before we get into some of the obvious of now that they have to pressure on picks, what they're going to do with those. Do, do you guys think that they're going to take some of their draft capital from next year and try to use it to create draft capital this year? Um, you know, package that together to get, to get some picks this year or potentially, yeah, uh, I'm curious, Evan. Do you do you do you think that that'll happen, or do you think John's going to just be? Uh, I don't think I don't think so. I think yeah. they've been. I think they're going to overcorrect maybe a little bit, and that's fine if they do. But I think they really got screwed by the Sheldon trade. I think they really got screwed by Jeremy Lane. You know, failing his physical. Um, you know, ending up making us lose a, a third round pick. I, I think. You, I don't know if you guys have seen like the press conference interviews with Josh Schneider over the past couple of weeks. Every time somebody mentions, you know, the four or five picks that they have, you can see like the visible, you know, distraught nature <laughs> in John's face. He's visibly hurting about it. So I, 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 I find it very unlikely to be honest. Yeah. I, I think it would be a, a terrible idea too. Um, uh, they've done a great job now of setting themselves up with a bunch of picks next year. Um, they, they've done a good job of setting themselves up with flexibility to create uh, more picks this year without having to, to uh, you know, reach into next year's. And I mean, I, I think that the reason, I, I think the justification behind it would be, well, 12 picks is just too many. Um, you're going to just end up cutting a lot of those guys, right? It, it's just, it's just a roster um, spot thing. Um, but if, if that's a problem, they can then um, look to, to roll it the other way. They can look to trade those picks from 2020 into higher round picks in 2021, 
right? And this can be the start of what we've been complaining about them not doing for a couple of years, right? They didn't do the Sherm thing. They didn't do the Earl thing. They did, you know, the Sheldon trade. And now they've got this bad situation. Well, okay, you paid a price. You traded away uh, Frank Clark, which um, as an aside is good in isolation, regardless of where they are today. It was a very good trade. They should have done it no matter how many picks they had this year. But you, you pay that price. You get Clark. You can now, you've got a couple first round picks that you can trade back and create more capital, which they probably should do. And then you can just, like I said, keep the ball rolling. And, and next year, if you're like, hey, we just have too many picks. Well, see if you can trade a third rounder in 2020 for a second rounder in 2021. Or maybe you even get lucky and someone gets desperate and you can do the the, the thing that um, Ruskell did that allowed him to take uh, Earl Thomas and you trade a second for a next year's first, right? I mean, this can snowball into a really positive thing that helps them, like you said, be a sustainable um, contender for several years. As long as they don't use it to trade for uh, a petulant wide receiver or a, you know, wuss tight end, then we should be in in, in great shape. So um, a couple pieces come to mind here. So so I, I do want to comment for a second about Frank Clark and, and just my experience with Frank person to person is he's one of the most personable, like gregarious, friendly, earnest, like people I've met on the team. And every time I met him, looks you in the eye, smiles, laugh, easy laugh, like just, just a really good, good guy to talk with. Very, um, uh, you know, comes across as a really quality um, kind of person. And he spent time with, you know, all sorts of people. I won't go into all the details, but but generous with his time, generous with his spirit. So I was always impressed with Frank, um, especially knowing what his reputation was coming out of college. I didn't know quite what to expect, but but he didn't he didn't come across as a guy that that uh, you know had personality challenges. Doesn't mean that any of that didn't happen, or I'm I'm not attempting to 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 mitigate that. But um, that was my experience with him personally. Um, having said that. And as much as I think Frank Clark, like drafting a, a, a pass rusher is one of the harder things to do. It's one of the things that the Seahawks have historically almost never done. If you go through their history, Frank Clark, I think when I was reporting out about it, is either has the second most sacks or the third. I think it's the second within the first four years of his career as a Seahawk. And he started really slow. They all start really slow. I think he had like three sacks his first year or something like that. Um, I think that Jeff Bryant is the only guy that had more sacks than like 34 in his first four years. So it's really hard to find these guys. And as much as Frank was, was moving forward there, he always talked, whether it's social media or personally or otherwise about getting his bag, getting his money. Like that was a big area of motivation for him. And of course it is for everybody. Like we're all trying to earn a living and, 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 and he should be no different. But I do have some questions about if he was with Seattle. I, I, I think he's going to be better off in Kansas City and proving him, having feeling like the need to prove himself a little bit again. But I did have real questions about whether we were going to have the same player after the money that he was before. Um, Nathan, you brought up some legitimate questions about just how good of a pass rusher is he? Like how good of a player overall is he? Um, I mean, there's some fair questions there. How consistently is he is he causing those challenges? I have less questions about that, I guess. But you know, he played through injury almost every year. 
Um, and on one hand, that's really commendable. On the other hand, I don't know that we can be sure that he's going to be as willing and interested in doing that after he's got money um, in his pocket, like um, at that rate. So I will say that that overall, I feel like the Seahawks risk profile is much less um, now than it would have been if they had signed him to, to the deal that he ended up wanting to sign. Um, and I just think from a, you know, as Nathan said, whether regardless of how many draft picks they had, um, regardless of even whether what other people they needed to sign um, to some extent, I think this there's some logic that, to just making this deal as they made it. So um, before we talk about what they can do with these first round picks, guys, let's talk about what his absence means on the roster and who potentially you're looking at to step forward. Um, you know, let's start with you, Nathan. I mean, uh, their starting Leo is gone. Um, so w- where does your mind go in terms of, of who's first up to potentially take over those snaps? Um, well, Jacob Martin is the next guy from a path rushing, rushing perspective in terms of, I think, accomplishment, um, what he's done so far um, in just one year. Um, and that's more of a sign of what they have on the roster than it is of Jacob Martin, although I'm excited for him. Um, but the guy that you have to really hope uh, steps up and kind of takes that spot is uh, Rasheen Green. Um, he's more similar to Clark. Um, Clark with a, a bigger body, he's 270, 280 in that range. Um, I don't know what Green was off the top of my head, but he, he's bigger in that way too. More of a complete end. Um, you know, Martin was real light. I think in the combine, he weighed like 230 pounds. So um, he's definitely beefed up since then, I'm pretty sure. But uh, I, I would still say that they're going to look for somebody with a different profile for him to kind of take those snaps. Um, you're probably also going to see him do stuff with uh, Nav Jones. You're probably going to see him do stuff with um, uh, Quentin Jefferson, who I, th- I think uh, played the five tech last year. So they can do some different stuff like that. Um, but in terms of just, you know, let's say for whatever reason they get through the entire draft, they don't draft a single defensive lineman, which they won't do. Um, but, you know, you're really going to look at Rasheem Green and say that's the guy that, that you know, needs to step up and take, take a lot of the responsibility now. Yeah, Evan. Any any thoughts there that that uh, guys that you have your eye on, um, you know, with this gap? Yeah, I think uh, I I share similar thoughts to you, Ryan, with Jacob Martin. I'm super super excited about Jacob Martin taking, you know, a big year two step. Uh, Rasheem Green. We really didn't see anything from him last year. Um, yeah, he's another player that obviously came into you know the Seahawks is a little raw, but I actually do trust this team. I do trust this coaching staff to. Um, build up that t- you know talent in that spot and and I think uh, I think I, I just one thing that I want to close the loop on and mention real quick is the four stars we were thinking about paying from a roster con- construction perspective was Russell Bobby Jaron Reed and Frank Clark you know Russell Wilson got paid thirty five million dollars a year Bobby Wagner is probably looking at seventeen to eighteen so we're talking fifty three million right there you want to add in Frank Clark that's fifty three plus twenty one. So 74, and then you're looking at Jaron Reed, who's probably going to make like 15, 16 a million a year. That's $90 million a year allocated to four players. I just think it makes the Frank Clark trade in hindsight, looking at this compensation makes so much sense. And, 
And uh, yeah, the position group gets a lot cheaper and a lot weaker, but I think it was worth it. Yeah, um, and welcome to the show, Jeff, uh, at Real Jeff Simmons. How's it going, dude? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm on your time zone, man. I'm in Philly. So um, I, I feel like oh, yeah. I'm finally yeah. getting a feel for how in the world you do these late night podcasts. This must be late Uh-oh. for you. My, my internet connection is better than yours, though. I think that's good. Oh. <laughs> um, so we're talking about people that are yeah, up, in line to replace Frank and his production on the, the team. And and I'll give my point of view, and I'm going to throw it to you, Jeff. Um, but look, I, I was just talking with Jacob Martin last week, the week before, and I was like, you know, which he's actually left-handed, interestingly enough. Um, I asked him which side he prefers to rush from, and – and he says either he's ambidextrous um, from his, you know, you know, he said he's left-handed, but he considers himself ambidextrous. And he's like, whatever side Frank's not rushing on, I'll take. Um, and when I talked to him more, I was asking him about like, I started saying like, yeah, I was pretty impressed with the pressure you're able to create in the time you got. And he's like, yeah, he started quoting his pressure rate and where he ranked. And like, he knew, he knew that stuff. A lot of those guys, at least Either they say they don't know that stuff, or they actually don't don't give a crap. Um, they they just focus. He actually knew his pressure rate and stuff like that. He did. He did. Interesting. Yeah, he was like, I was seventeenth in you know the NFL, and Frank and I were pretty close, and like we mm-hmm. talked about it for a little while. That's really interesting because uh, I think I said it earlier. Uh, there was a report out that Kansas City has uh, they they consider Clark the second best pass rusher in the league, and like we've been talking, if you look at pressures. That's not really true, not not at all. Um, if you look at, uh, I think, sacks and hits, then he's, like, fourth over the last couple of years. And so you get much closer to, like, that, like, really upper echelon. And so um, it's interesting to kind of, you know, with analytics kind of really getting a foothead, foothold and growing in the NFL, you may have different teams looking at different numbers and valuing these things very different, and that may allow for these kind of big trades where both teams feel pretty good with what they came away from and time will tell yeah yeah i think that's right i mean i think jacob martin i've been pretty high on and and pumping up so uh i don't as much as i'm pumping him up um i don't think it's realistic for him to step into frank's shoes like and be that productive i think that he absolutely is the next guy up in terms of looking at those snaps i think rasheem green is another guy i talked to and um, we're hoping to have both these guys come on the show. We'll see if we can work that out. But um, uh, Rasheem was a little nicked up last year, and I think that that was part of it. And and he's also pretty young uh, and raw and, and 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 learning. But he certainly is going to be there's of all the guys. I think there's going to be the most need for him to step forward. He has from a athletic profile perspective, his size, his ability to play inside or outside. Interestingly he is most comfortable rushing from the inside. So, you know, he, he can do both, but that's that's where he likes and feels most comfortable um, in, in how that plays out. And what that would mean is that, you know, if he is going to make, like, he's going to be more of a Michael Bennett type and slide inside and pass rush situations more often, then you're looking at two ends that are flipping out. So then you're looking at, you know, Jake and Martin's one, but then you're like, who's the other? And... One name, and I don't think this is the one that's going to be third on the list at all, but a name to keep an eye on is Shaquem Griffin. And uh, this is a guy whose, I think, best trait in college was pass rushing. And, um, you know, 
I've both heard and and talked with with some of the coaches a little bit about this. And I you've heard Pete say publicly, uh, we want to try to tap into his pass rush a little bit more. We think he's got something there. He's super light for a pass rusher. I think he's like 235 or something like that. Maybe he's put on a little weight and maybe that's part of it. But he's a name that no one's been talking about as an edge or, or someone who could play there. Um, that's going to be one that could be interesting, especially if it's rotational coming in a nickel and pure pass rush, not having to worry about him holding up against the run in any way. So, Jeff, I'm curious, like, what, what are your thoughts there um, in terms of what you're looking to replace Frank? Well, I think Green is an interesting name. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I think Green is interesting because if you were, we were really excited about him in preseason. And if you remember Frank's first preseason, it was actually very similar to what Green looked like. Frank dominated a bunch of second stringers, and then that production just didn't apply to the season. And everyone was wondering what happened. Green had an injury, and Green just never got any production. But I think you can kind of see a parallel in terms of what their first year was like, the kind of the learning curve they had and just how good they both looked in the preseason. I remember we were all raving about Green those first couple games. So I think he's the obvious candidate. I think most of the other guys probably aren't on the roster yet. I think this draft, John has mentioned when he was on radio, like how good this draft is on the defensive line. Uh, John just mentioned like this draft is loaded with kind of rushers, interior rushers, run stuffers, three techniques. So when you look at those guys, um, I think a high pick's going to be edge rusher tomorrow. That's probably the obvious pick. And I think based on the cap room they've cleared, there's going to be a veteran guy brought in. I think that could be Nick Perry. That could be Ansa. So if you look at Green, Martin, a high pick, maybe a second defensive line pick, and Ansa or a Perry or another guy like that, I think that's how you make it up. Kind of the money ball strategy, replace them with three guys in one. Yeah, we have not talked about that at all. I'm glad, really glad you brought that up. Um, talk a little bit more about, you know, you mentioned Ziggy Ansa and, and Nick Perry. Um, there's implications, different implications about which of those guys yes. potentially you, you, you go after. Talk a little bit about that, and, and do you have a preference? So both of them are different because – Ansa would affect the comp formula, and Seattle's very protective of that comp formula right now. John Schneider has admitted as much. But Ansa's in a unique scenario where he was one of the top free agents going in, but he's got a really, really bad shoulder that can't clear a medical exam right now. His agent essentially has taken him off the market. So from the Seahawks' perspective, they will not look at him until after May 7th. And Baltimore had him in today. I saw that come out. So they might be competing with them, but Seattle's cap room is pretty good compared to some of these other teams. And Perry was released. They, they had him in a couple weeks ago. I don't know what kind of – he's had a lot of injury history too. So preference of mine is if you can get Ansa, the upside of Ansa is way bigger than Perry's. And if you can hold off until May 7th and his shoulder kind of aligns with that timeline, Ansa was one of like – he was a franchise player last year and – his talent level is far superior to Nick Perry. So if you can get him at a decent price and hold off until May 7th, I think that's a huge one for the Seahawks if they can do that too. So guys, I I've got to ask, um, we've mentioned some of these names before, but it's different now. The Seahawks, as, as I've mentioned on Twitter, this wasn't just a trade where the Seahawks got 
uh, the 29th pick in the draft, first round pick, a 2022nd, and a swap of the thirds. They also got the $20 million in cap space, right? Um, they, this year, the 17 and a half million, they essentially freed up, right? So it does bring back into question, like defensive lineman signings. And for folks that don't know, I think it's May 1st, May 6th, something like that, where May 7th. Yeah. Where if you sign someone after that date, it does not count as a formula. So I think we're in this period right now where it's unlikely that a lot of these guys are going to sign with the team because they haven't signed by now. I think people are essentially going to wait it out until after the draft, see what they get, and then look to get guys without hitting their comp picks. Well, is it at all realistic? Forget whether you're interested or not. Do you think that from a cap perspective, it's at all realistic that the team could find someone like Ansa and someone like Ndamukan Sue? Any feel for what their contract values would be and, and you know, on a one-year deal kind of thing? So trading Clark doesn't actually clear that much cap space, right? Like, no. Uh, it, I, I, it, yeah, go ahead. No, well, 17 million. It does because the, he had the te- he, they had him slotted in for the tag, which is 17 and a half. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's not a traditional contract trade where you got to, like, eat the dead money and – yeah. Well, and I, and I was just thinking that he was still on his rookie deal, but you're right. I had forgotten that they had tagged him. So yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, that seems possible, right? Seventeen million to get Ansa and Sue. I, I mean, Sue got ten last year, right? Uh, and Ansa's medicals seem questionable. I could see Ansa getting like it'd be like a one million or one year ten million dollar deal with like literally zero guaranteed and a ton of money. You know structured into per game roster bonuses basically you know ensuring that he would only get that money if his if his shoulder is okay but i don't know if you guys saw the sue um the sue instagram post or it was like in his story or something somebody posted on twitter he had like two jerseys in a picture and it was like which one would you pick and it was the giants and the cowboys did you guys see that Mm -mm. yeah that happened today so that's relevant it is and I'm not even like, I'm not super high on him. Like I'd be, I think what it brings up is just this question. I mean, Timmy Jernigan's out there. Um, uh, Um, uh, Muhammad Wilkerson. The name I was hearing was Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton. Sure. I mean, he was probably in play either way. Yeah. Um, Are they waiting on him until after May 7th? Only Mo Wilkinson really has a chance here of helping you from a pass rush perspective, though. Yeah, and exactly. yeah. Shelton's not going to give you a lot there. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but, like, that that to me, if, if you're John Schneider and you're looking to hedge your bets, like, we're going to talk about this. I keep teasing. We are going to talk about what we're going to do with these first-round picks. But even if you get Montez Sweat or whoever you th- – Brian Burns or whoever you think is, like – you hope this pass rusher falls to you. There are not many pass rushers that come in as rookies and dominate, right? Like it's usually a developmental year and maybe you're hoping for maybe five sacks. If sacks is the the stat you look at, you figure out other pressures, but you're going to want to hedge that bet with some veterans. And, you know, we have heard that they were looking at Alan Bailey. I don't Alan Bailey doesn't particularly excite me, but um, anyway, I think we've been talking about one. I think you could end up looking at multiple 
um, in this case. And I think that, that starts to get interesting. Um, let's go ahead and go there to, to talk about these first round picks. Because um, Jeff, both you and Nathan um, wrote uh, mock draft articles um, and sure. have some different points of view on what, what could possibly happen. Jeff, you just pu published and, and I just shared it out. So people should check it out on the timeline. Uh, your mock draft specifically for the first round now with those two first round picks in mind. Mm -hmm. What did you what did you figure out or where did you end up and, and how did you end up there? So ideally, I don't expect Seattle to use both first round picks. I'm a big proponent of the trade down. I believe John Schneider is going to want to acquire more picks. I still am struggling to figure out which one it's going to be, and I think that's the biggest puzzle piece going into the trap. But I want to present a scenario where Seattle used both picks and who are the kind of players they would use those picks on. And so in the 21st range, it seemed like the edge rushers lined up there. I know people have mentioned Brian Burns. I gave them Brian Burns. I think that's kind of a long shot, to be honest. I think he'll probably go in the teens. But I think he's the kind of player, he's an edge rusher, kind of like a Cliff Averill, more of a speed rusher, really athletic guy off the edge. Um, but if he's there at 21, I think he's the kind of guy that John and P would turn the card in right away. I think uh, Sweat is a guy that's a really interesting guy. He like lit up the combine. I mean, a great year in the SEC. I know Josh Norris gave... Josh Norris of uh, Roto World, their podcast, gave the Seahawks Montez Sweat in their mock draft. I listened to that this afternoon. I think he's like the Seahawks kind of player. But he's That's got a big a question. Team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why he's slipping in the draft. Like, he totally lit up the combine. And it, it's so, a hard issue that's the same that Garrett Scott had, is what I've heard. Is that confirmed? I don't know. I, it's a gray area. Where if that's the case, that's really scary. Yeah. So... I think if they're going to stick at 21, I think it's going to be an edge rusher. And so I presented a scenario where Brian Burns from Florida State, I would turn in that card right away. 29, I think they definitely could swap down that pick as well. They could swap down both picks. But if, if they're going to pick at 29, I think the pick has to be a receiver because you're in the range there where San Francisco, Arizona, um, maybe even New England – they're all looking at receivers. So if you want kind of your pick of the litter guy, it could be Akeem Butler. It could be a lot of the names we've mentioned on the show, Nikhil Harry, uh, A.J. Brown. Uh, I think if you're going to pick a receiver, 29 is the spot to take a receiver because of those teams mentioned in their inner division. So I gave them Harry and Burns. Again, I don't expect this draft to unfold. I think that's way too good. But I think if they're going to use those picks, D.N. at 21 and receiver at 29. Which of those picks were you most excited about if, if they came true? Me, uh, just I think it's actually Harry there, Arizona receiver, just because we've been talking about receivers, such a big need. I know Evan even tweeted out the idea of like them using both picks on receivers. That would excite me. It's not maybe not the most like I can't see Pete doing it, but it's, it's would be the most fun scenario possible because they might actually build around Russell. But, yeah, I'd be really excited about Nikhil Harry. They need a receiver. They need a big guy. He'd be a really fun player that the Seahawks really haven't had at that position, maybe since Sidney Rice. Yeah, we're going yeah. we're, we're to talk a little bit about Nathan's uh, state uh, version of the draft in, in a second, which is more about trading down. We'll talk about that. But let's assume for a second they keep those picks. 
-hmm. are there guys that you guys are falling in love with? And, and Evan, I think you're about to talk. Like, you know, you mentioned two receivers. Could it be a receiver and a tight end, like Noah Fant or something like that, um, you know, as part of that plan? Yeah, I absolutely got eviscerated on uh, or eviscerated on Twitter for that take. 99% of people said absolutely hate it. I'd be extremely pissed off. But then all my fellow Hawk blogger members were like, no, I'd actually really like that idea. So <laughs> I, I would actually be ecstatic with that. I think, I think the wide receiver group is a real problem. I think you have Tyler Lockett and then a bunch of question marks, a bunch of, you know, rotational, sometimes suitable type guys, but nobody like I was thinking it, thinking it this way. Russell Wilson just turned 30 years old. You draft a receiver. He's going to be what? 21, 22, 23 years old. That's a straight decade of Russell Wilson in his prime with that receiver to grow with Doug Baldwin. We don't know if he's here, coming back next year. He might retire. Injuries are taking a huge toll on him. This, these are Russell Wilson's money years as a, as a franchise quarterback. We want to make sure we surround him with as much talent at the receiver position as possible. Like I said, title locket, bunch of question marks. If it's two receivers, I really don't have a problem with it. Nathan, anyone that you're, you're kind of have your heart set on and, and hoping somehow that they get to the Seahawks and you'd be really excited to hear their name called? Um, there's been talk about, uh, Clellan Farrell, and I have no idea if I'm saying his name right. Uh, Farrell, Farrell, I don't know. I've heard weird pronunciations. Um, uh, I don't know why he would get to Seattle. Um, that seems like a pipe dream, but, uh, he's a guy that's a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, I do like sweat quite a bit, but the heart issue is uh, a big question mark there. So if he does get to Seattle, uh, I'm going to be pretty concerned about, um, why he's available at that point. Um, uh, in terms of receiver, though, uh, I don't have a guy I love. Um, there's uh, a lot of guys to me. This this is a deep class, but not a top-heavy class at all. Um, I, I don't think that there's one guy that's just so much better than everybody else. Um, people love Metcalf, and he's, like, super rocked up. Um, but he also, you know, only caught for, like, 550 yards. He has drops. Uh, I, I'm not, like big into him um harry is a lot of fun um i, I think he'd be a, a good pick for them um he's maybe the receiver that i like the best of the bunch um but uh yeah i mean getting back to the two wide receiver thing i wouldn't advocate for it necessarily i don't think it's something that they like should do um but if the board breaks like it's very possible that there's no edge on the board for them when they're at 21 and 29, right? Burns and uh, Farrell could be gone. Sweat could be off their board. Gary could be off their board. Simmons, an interior rusher, could be off their board. Jerry Tillery could be off their board. All those guys have injury concerns. Um, and so, you know, uh, if they end up, you know, trading back a little bit and then, you know, just the two best players that come up are receivers. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's um, a need for them. Um, and I, I think it'd be perfectly defensible. Yeah. They, the Seahawks draft tendencies used to be where they would take more of a risk on injury um, flagged players. And that was part of their strategy. They actually believed in their strength and conditioning approach and their nutrition and their ability to coach these guys up and, get them in the program, so to speak. And I think the Malik McDowell thing, among others, they had a couple of things that didn't really go their way. And they've come out publicly and talked about how 
they've changed their their approach. They're they're being a little bit more cautious. You remember <laughs> for all the the back and forth about the first round pick last year um, uh, on on a running back. They talked a lot about how he had never been injured and that he came across as a really durable selection. And that was a big part of, you could hear in their way they talked about it, that that was a big part of the evaluation. So I do wonder about whether a guy like Jerry Tillery, for example, who some are talking about, some scouts are talking about is if he didn't have this ACL injury and even with it, they believe that there's a chance he could be come out as one of maybe the best player um, in the draft um, from an overall talent perspective. Do I don't know. Tillery or do you mean Simmons? Simmons had the ACL. Tillery had the shoulder, I think. Yeah, so it was Simmons. Sorry, excuse okay. me. It was Simmons. It was Simmons. So uh, I'm curious, like, um, do either of you guys or do any of you guys, um, specifically, I guess I'm targeting Jeff and, and Nathan, who, who spent a little bit more time evaluating uh, prospects, do you think a guy like Simmons is worth taking that kind of uh, gamble on? Um, is the upside there? Uh, I haven't watched much of Simmons. Um, so just from a prospect perspective, I can't speak about it. Uh, but I, I agree with um, Ben on this one. And I think this is probably just coming kind of a common knowledge or it's common sense too um a big part of the benefit of rookies is that they're cheap and that you have them under you know team control so to say uh for, for four or five years right potentially um and with simmons you're looking at punting one of those years and so uh the 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 the, the value there if he doesn't play for a year if you have to redshirt him is significantly lower so even if he is a very good prospect it, it comes at a trade-off and so i don't think it's worth it jeff you have, you concur you have a different point of view yeah that's a tough one for me considering the prospect has the exact same name as me <laughs> jeffrey simmons is my name that's uh -huh. spells it differently though <laughs> but i agree with nathan and i think the frank thing adds to that for sure the fact that they don't have frank right now to use a pick on that position, and then you're just redshirting a big year of his rookie contract, and Seattle doesn't use the fifth-year option as much as other teams. And really, they just aren't – they need immediate contributors. They're just not in a position where they can redshirt a guy like a team like the Colts or the Eagles where they have a lot more depth and they're kind of further along in their development. They could afford that team, but I don't think Seattle's in that position right now where he's probably not going to play this year, and if he does, it's not till December, January. I think that would be a mistake, and I think that would be them getting a little too cute. If if they – so forget players for a second. Uh, last question before we go into talking about trade downs and some of those scenarios. Again, assume they're going to keep those two picks, which I don't think any of us believe that that's going to happen. They're going to keep those two first. Which positions – you can only pick two. Which two positions would you be most excited about the team addressing with two first-round picks? And I'll, I'll go first. I mean, for me, uh, safety and I actually would kind of go receiver. It's, it's hard for me. I generally go to edge. Like, I, I think that um, first round picks, I'm always around offensive line, defensive line. And, and so that's my tendency. 
but I think there's some really high quality on the receiver side this time. And, and I'd be interested there. So I think I'd probably be most excited if it was receiver and safety. Uh, how about you, uh, Evan, you have a point of view on this one? Yeah, I think receiver is a huge need and I'd also probably go edge over safety. Honestly, I don't think Tedrick, like Bradley McDougald is a stud, but you know, Tedrick is up and coming if I want to be generous. Um, I, I, I think the safety position is is doing okay. I think the edge position is a real, real issue without Frank. For me, yeah. I'm with you, Brian. Oh, sorry. I'm going to jump, jump, jump in line. Uh, wide receiver and safety. I think, you know, Nikhil Harry and uh, Juan Thornhill are two guys that are very realistic, um, you know, good players. Uh, um, Thornhill is just, you know, much more dynamic than, than Tedrick. Um, so... There's, I think, the, uh, with Edge, a lot of people, I mean, people are talking, like we talked about earlier, like trading next year's picks to move up and make sure you get a Brian Burns or something like that. Um, it's a pretty deep Edge class. I, I don't, you know, when I go through the, the mock draft stuff, I don't really feel the pressure to take an Edge super early. Um, there are guys later on that are that are good players that you can still grab. So um, especially if they trade down a little bit and they get a, you know, a late second or an early third round pick. Um, I don't think edge is really pressing for them. Jeff. Yeah. I'm, I, I agree with all you guys. I, I think it has to be some combination of receiver safety edge. And I think receivers one, I would like to see them address early because of all the reasons we mentioned, but I think, yeah, I think Nathan brings up a good point. John has mentioned this before that the defensive end class runs from round one to three, essentially that's where it starts to drop off. And, there are some names like Chase Winovich of Michigan is a guy who's like a plays with his hair on fire, really good player off the edge. I like him as a prospect better than Gary for uh, from Michigan. They were teammates there. I think you can still get. There's a guy Collier from uh, TCU. Maybe you can get at the end of the first or later in the second. There's guys that you can get down. I think safety and receiver just because of like how scary those positions are right now in terms of like how weak we were at free safety last year. Sorry, Tedrick. Um, and just receiver the the issues that Evan brought up earlier and just just the fun aspect of those two positions and how flashy those guys are I like to see safety and receiver yeah and I think if, if anyone's been paying attention to Schneider's draft tendencies and, and the way the Seahawks think about this there's a one that's really really consistent which is the way they look at this is they they not only have everyone stacked on a board one to n about who's most valuable and where they have them slotted but they have where they have gaps, like where they're, you know, maybe they have two guys slotted as first round safeties, and then they have nobody until fourth round as a safety. And there's a big gap there that they see. In those situations, when there's a position of great depth and a position where there's a big um, chasm, especially if there's an, if they have a need um, in that position, they will draft that position early. They will, they will, artificially push that um, that position up on their draft board, take that early, and bet on the fact that they're going to be able to draft due to the depth in those other positions later. So I think the tendency, like, generally for fans is, oh, man, I'm hearing it's a super deep cornerback class, or I'm hearing it's a super deep edge class, or whatever it may be, and we're hearing that absolutely about the defensive line this draft is, oh, so the Seahawks are going to grab one of those guys early. And one of these names that we keep hearing, 
I think the likelihood is that the Seahawks don't go edge early unless the guy that they really want, that they have super high on the board falls to them and that they draft that later and that they potentially use some of their earlier picks on some of the positions that they know they need to address wide receiver and safety are two glaring needs. Um, and bet on the depth for the edge later on in the draft. So that that's kind of my expectation going in, um, even though I would not be sad to see them call out a, the name of a, a promising edge player early. So, um, so let's talk about the more likely scenario here, guys, by far. I think everybody expects this. The Seahawks still have, what, five picks this year? Are they up to five? They're up to five. Woohoo! They had four, they have five. Um, Nathan, take us through your, you know, I know you did your mock draft, and I know there's probably some changes since, but like, what's your expectation about which of the, the the picks that they move and what are some scenarios you have in mind of, of like what they could potentially do um, in terms of uh, turning those picks into more picks? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of scenarios, right? I mean, you can sit there with the, the draft trade chart and kind of, you know, pick any team and just kind of figure out, okay, what would it take to add up to 800 points or 640 points? I think it's what 29 is. Um, and, a lot of that is going to depend on what, how the, the draft shakes out and who's available and team needs. Um, so it's hard to kind of say, you know, oh, it's going to be Indianapolis. Like maybe um, they certainly have the capital and the flexibility to make that kind of a move. But if 21 rolls around and no one that uh, Indianapolis is in love with is on the board or Indianapolis does love somebody, but they don't see any of the teams in front of them taking them, they're not going to move up. Um, so it's a really tricky thing to predict. And I think John's talked about this quite a bit, you know, that it, it takes two. And so they really, I think that they really have to work at this. Um, and, uh, it's it's just it's not easy to really know exactly what um, the one that I, I do kind of have a favorite one that I like um, just based on kind of tendencies. I think San Francisco has been a pretty um, aggressive team, kind of a splashy team so far. And so uh, if you take their second and third, which is the fourth pick in the second round and the third pick in the third round, um, that works out to just about. Um, 800 points. So, um, you know, they're a team that might kind of make look to make a move. Um, it's a trade that in terms of draft points is, you know, very slightly in their favor. Um, and I think that's one that could potentially happen. Um, and then trading down from 29, um, you could look at Arizona um, with the first pick in the second round. Um, and then the first pick in the fifth and sixth round, um, if there's somebody that they like, if they take Kyler Murray and then, you know, you got a, uh, an offensive lineman, um, that drops down to 29 or something like that, that maybe they want to kind of jump up and make sure that they grab, um, uh, that's one that they could do for pretty low cost, really, if you're Arizona, right? Just a fifth and a sixth round pick, um, to move up a few points, uh, a few, uh, a few picks up into the, the first round. So um, those two seem pretty realistic to me, um, but there's a ton of permutations um, that could happen. Do you, do you feel like it's more likely that they will move 21 or more likely that they will move 29? I think that they will try. I think that they try to move every pick. I, I imagine. I mean, I think that they're, 
probably pretty open about this. I think that they're going to have trade discussions on every pick throughout pretty much the entire draft. Um, I think that they should, if they're if it's like an either or, if you know, I think they should try to move 21 because it's the one with the most points. So it's the one that you can get the most back in return. Um, but uh, again, it just depends on who's on the board and who is interested in, in who's on the board, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's not a, um, it's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, so Jeff, I'm curious, you know, one team that we've heard there's been rumors about that wants to move into the first round is the Browns. Um, and they currently do not have a first round pick. Um, their first pick is in the second round, it's number 49. Um, you know, I was going through and trying to figure out what might work there. If, if they wanted the, the 29th pick for the Seahawks, um, if they had something, if they wanted to come up with something close, they'd be looking at giving up their second round pick, number 49. So you drop from 29 to 49. So it's 20 spots. Um, but you'd also get the third round pick, number 80, and probably the fifth round pick, number 144. So you'd go for the Seahawks from, from having the 21st and the 29th pick to having the 21st and then having a second round pick, the 49th, which they don't currently have. And then two third round picks, a fourth round pick and two fifth round picks. Um, and that, that would end up with four picks in the top 100 if they were doing that. Now that's a, a lot of consolidation for a Browns team that already doesn't have a lot of picks, but uh, you know, otherwise they're going to have to be looking at 2020 draft picks to, to, to sweeten the deal. So talk about that potential for a second. You know, is that an interesting move to you? Um, and if, if not that, what are some other scenarios that you have in mind? I think John Schneider, that's the kind of move I can definitely see him liking. I think that would open up their draft in a lot of ways. They wouldn't have to force positions. They'd be able to address, you can even take two receivers with the extra third. You could, uh, you can really round out your roster. I think he would be happy with that. Don't know if I can see the Browns doing that. They have a, they've gone pretty like heavy all in this year, and they've brought in a lot of big money players and adding another first year contract and giving up a lot of their draft capital might not be the most logical scenario for them. I think they're probably just going to stick in round two. But the thing with the Seahawks that's interesting now, there's just so many. It's like a moving puzzle piece, like Nathan explained. There's so many ways they can go with this. They can move down both picks. They can move down one. My initial thought was keep 21, get the best player, then move down 29 and add another day two pick. But once you guys start presenting scenarios to me, I think it's best maybe they stick at 29 and move down 21 to get the most in return. So really, I've gone through like a roller coaster of emotions. My first thought after they trade Frank was like, do not trade any of these picks. Let's get some blue chippers in here. We've talked about how much more valuable like those first round talents are. This team needs them. I even wrote that in that article we did a couple of months ago about like things the Seahawks need to fix. So they need first round value out of these players. So that was my first thought. The more I've thought about it, I want to kind of get more day two picks. I think that's the strength of the draft. So that's probably moving back from 21, hopefully maybe sticking in the first round or early two, then maybe selling 29 too, getting those high, another high second and a late three maybe. So it's just, I've gone through a roller coaster. Now I'm nervous that John Schneider's going to screw this up and get too cute. That's where I'm at now. I'm worried that they're going to like try to do too much and kind of blow this thing. Where I was pretty discouraged about this whole draft. 
the Russell Wilson thing before they signed him brought me down. I was worried they only had four picks and they were going to have to trade down and take a lesser deal. And now the Frank thing really brings urgency to this draft. And now I'm really, really excited about it and really, really like anxious about it at this point. This is probably the biggest draft Schneider's had wet since like 2012. Like, yeah, after trading Frank and all their roster holes, they really need to hit on these picks. So I'm really eager to see what they do and how they move down the board because like Nathan said, you can't really predict. There's so many ways they can go with this. There's this whole draft that just been completely reinvigorated by this Frank trade. Now I'm pretty pumped to see what the, how they do it and where they really end up going. Well, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time they've had two first round picks since 2010. Their first their first draft, right? Correct. Um, mm-hmm. They, they don't use first round picks in most years. Now they got two. Right. It's it's a very different draft profile from what they've had before. Now. There's only five picks total. Um, they're all in the earlier rounds for the most part, the five and five and earlier. Um, but it does feel, and these picks are much lower in the first round than the picks they had. You know, they were top 10 picks back then um, uh, in 2010. But in any event, it, it is going to be interesting. And this is a different a different situation than, than they've been in for a little while. Um, I do have some concern that the John Schneider is going to look at the Bengals and their five seventh round picks and decide he's going to trade one of the firsts for five sevenths. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, but seriously, I, I think the Colts are a really interesting potential trade partner. Um, I think they've got a lot of ammunition and um, there was one potential deal I was looking at where, uh, you know, for the Seahawks 21st pick. So this is, this is, Different than the 29 one where we were talking about before where you look, go with the Browns and you turn that into kind of multiple, you know, second, third, you know, and maybe a fifth, something like that. If you took the 21st with the Colts, you could potentially get a second, um, number 34, which is, is not a huge drop, 13 picks back, but a second round pick, a third round pick, number 89, a fifth round pick, and a sixth round pick. So now you'd be talking about going from the Seahawks having five picks in this draft to nine picks in this draft with one move. And again, whether the Colts would do that, we can debate whether that is the case, but I'm just using that to illustrate, you know, Nathan's point earlier where, you know, and to your point as well, Jeff, that the benefit of moving the 21st pick, there's a significant difference between 21 and 29 in terms of trade value. I think it goes from 640 for 29 to like 800 for for 21 and and so you could really if you get the right trade partner on 21 that could be your one move that populates your whole draft board now you're up to nine picks which is generally what schneider prefers to be at um, in any draft and now you can kind of do what you need to do you have the flexibility if you want to stay at 29 and pick someone there great if you want to move back and add even more picks um you could do that I would say if they made a trade like that, traded from 21 out of the first round to, to something like you know 34 and all these others, I would hope that they wouldn't trade out of the 29th pick. Like I, I do feel like, um, and this is where Nathan and I are slightly different, maybe significantly depending on your perspective. Uh, I do think that they can get too cute and just trading back and trying to accumulate every possible like pick and then not keep a lot of those guys anyway. I think that there's there's first round talent to be to be had. And I think that I'd like them to to try to stick with at least one of these picks to stick in the first round and 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 get one of them. Um, so that's my preference. Uh, 
Evan, you know, we were just kind of talking about um, Evan's stuff in his face. So I'm going to immediately <laughs> throw to him. Evan, what do you think about, what do you, what do you think about trading back in the draft? Uh, God. It, I agree with Nathan that 21 is definitely the most valuable. And if we can recoup, like, I don't know if you have the trade chart in front of you, Nathan, but if, if we could drop from, like, actually, let's play a scenario. What is dropping from 21 back to 30? look like nathan how how could like how, is that a third round pick is that a late second it's a um, mid third round pick it's actually almost mid- perfect it's it, it's the equivalent of the 18th pick of the third round wow see that's something i would do where if you could pick up a receiver at the tail end of the first round and pick up a mid third i think that's a no-brainer you have to do business with green bay though if you're going to do that ah fuck that team <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, you know, one thing to keep in mind here is that it's un, like it's fun to look at it. Like I, the one I threw out there was San Francisco, right? So that's dropping from 21 to 36. So that's 15 picks or whatever. Um, and it's fun to consider those because those are the ones where you can get the big values, right? Um, but uh, I think it's more common for them to move back like five or six, right? So like if you're talking about um, Indianapolis, you're probably more likely to trade from 21 to 26, which is 100 points, which is still a third-round pick. That's nice. But, you know, these big drops where you're going to go down 10, 15 picks, probably less likely. What makes you say that they're less likely? Go ahead, Jeff. I think John John really hated last year going through that full second round and not having anything. I don't think that he's going to want to do that again. So I think he's going to want to have something in that second round just to balance their draft a little more. And so they aren't forced to kind of do things and reach and watch like 80% of the guys they want just fly off the board. I think that really hurt him last year. Well, that's the part that I am, you know, concerned about a little bit. I, I think that it is going to be hard for like the way this typically works is you're going to get your best offer once you get closer to your pick and people know what they can potentially get for that pick, like who they're going to be able to draft. And I'm a little concerned that Schneider will get to 21 and take the best deal offered as opposed to a good deal. And I think he should be aware that he's got 29. And if he's not getting adequate compensation for the 21st pick, then take a player at 21 and then you know, bide your time and make a deal at 29 and use that as the place you take the best deal available. But I, I don't want to see them give away the 21st pick for less value than it's worth just so that they can populate their draft board. Like I, I think they need to get a good deal and they need to maximize their value and they need to, to hold their water, like not panic and not just assume that they're, if they don't do this at 21, then they're going to be really screwed. And they're not going to be able to pick in the second round with 29. Like, you know, that's, that's the part that I'm a little worried that they'll, they'll panic a little bit. Um, I, I hope that's not the case, but I, I find it really hard to imagine a scenario where the Seahawks pick at 21. It, as much as I'd, I'd like, I like the idea of sticking at 21 and figuring out a way to, to, to turn 29 into to more picks. Um, one, I think there's a lot more value that they can get for it, which you already talked about Two, I just, I think the Seahawks are going to want to know, um, and feel assured, you know, that they've got their draft, um, more populated. And so I I think they're going to want to 
they're going to want to make a move there. So highly unlikely to pick at 21 as far as I'm concerned. Um, so we could talk a little bit more about the draft, but I do want to, to, and if you guys have things, feel free to steer us back there. But I do want to talk about some of the other ripple effects of uh, from a roster, and this involves the draft as well, of what's happened. So, so I'm going to cover the Russell Wilson thing last. We'll see if we ever cover that here. We haven't even talked about the contract. That was a pretty big deal <laughs> that happened. Uh, but what's next? What's your next priority? Like we've talked here about Bobby, and we have not talked almost at all about Jaron Reed, which I'm disappointed in all of us that we have not had that conversation on this show more often. I, I, I finished our last show, and I was like, what in the world? I actually think he was a higher priority to sign than than Frank. Is uh, he is he the most underrated player on the Seahawks? Hmm. Dwayne Brown is a second team All Pro, and we never talk about him. So I I think it's Dwayne Brown. Hmm. Yeah, but Jaron Reed had ten point five sacks as a DT. No, he's I mean up- he's good, and yeah, for sure, but. Yeah, no, I hear you. Left tackle is important. Ben Baldwin would say Jermaine Effetti, just just for you. If we pick up his fifth year option, mm, you know that clench fist meme like that. You know, I don't even know what show that's from. That would be Arthur. me all day for the rest. What is of my life. what is the number on the fifth year? Do we know what that number would be for him? More than he's worth. Whatever. It is. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I actually think they should. I think he'll be a value on it because it's probably. Seven, eight, nine million. I'm pretty sure it's actually nine million, but ne- let me check. Uh, will the Seahawks? If it's nine million, which I think it sounds right, that's probably in terms of market rate. You, you, you're maybe getting a little surplus value out of Fetty there. I was right, nine point six million. Yeah, I think that's a fair deal for him. Disagree. I want them to move on from him. Um, like, do you really think like the step, like the step down from my Fetty to Fant is that worth nine point six million? Or I guess because your Fant salary is it worth like nine point? Is it worth nine million dollars? Like, are we sure? Why? Um, I don't know. We've hardly seen Fant play, and when the last time we did see him play, he was bad. And then the time before that, when he started for a while left tackle, he was bad like i don't know why like obviously a lot can change over the years but like i don't i and i'm optimistic about fan but like the idea that he's some hidden gem on the team i don't i think there's a lot well like, let me be clear i'm not saying fan is a hidden gem i'm just saying i don't think there's that much of a gap between i don't think the gap is worth nine million to allocate Okay, nine million actually is more than I thought. I, I didn't. Uh, so uh, the top paid right tackle right now is at twelve and a half or twelve point seven five million. Lane yeah, Johnson, uh, no, Juwan, uh, Juwan James. Hmm. He just signed this year. So, um, and then you got Lane Johnson, who I think signed a year or two ago at eleven and a quarter. Ricky Wagner at nine and a half. So nine point six for a Fetty is actually quite a bit. It would it would put him top five. Um, so maybe I'll. Maybe I'll retract no, that. Won't do that. Um, and Fant, Fant, I think, played right tackle a lot of last year. I mean, he was tight end over over Afedi, and so he was he was on the edge, not Afedi, in, in some of those cases. And 
take it for what it's worth. Um, but he graded out significantly higher than than Jermaine well, in Pro Football Focus on both pass rushing, pass blocking, and run blocking. Think about this: if you're going to apply the fifth year option to Jermaine, then obviously you're thinking about extending him, and then that fifth year option be- becomes like from a player agent negotiation standpoint, that option absolutely beca- becomes the baseline APY number for a new deal for for Ifedi. So. Are you looking at spending three years, thirty million on Ifedi, making him a top three paid right tackle? Like, you know I, I, mean? I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that because you pick up a fifth year option, you're likely to extend him. I think that if uh, I, I thought nine and a half million would have been more midline for right tackle. Um, so I, I was wrong there. So, but I think that if you pick that up, you know, you could just think it's. I mean, you're you're obviously not obligated for anything beyond that. So I don't know that you necessarily would extend him. Um, interesting though, George Fant. Three million dollars this year, not not half a million or. Oh, yeah, good call. And free agent next year. Yeah, it's his tender. You're right. So, what is Fant going to get paid next year? Right. So not you're you're talking. No, probably no. He won't get nine and a half or whatever. So you're still probably talking five, three, four, six. five million dollars difference. But yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. What a question about Jaron Reed. How did we get here? Well. No. What about Jamarco Jones? Isn't he the guy we should be excited about? I, I'm telling you. Like, Thank you. There's plenty of other options. Fant is a tight end. Well, I talked to <laughs> uh, Elijah Nikanta, um, who most people probably don't know the name oh, yet. He was in that uh, Chiefs game. Mm-hmm. And and uh, name right. wow. the 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 Seahawks are, are I think are pretty high on him. He's 24 and and uh, a good looking athlete. Like he. He does not look 315. Um, he looks pretty agile. <laughs> I was joking with him if he's if he plays any tight end, how good of a receiver is. He's like, well, George Fant's got that position on lock. He's not giving that to anybody, um, which is interesting. That that uh, it sounds like maybe George is still uh, planned to be used used there, but um, he plays both guard and tackle, and he's another name that I think would be worth watching there um, as as camp kind of uh, goes. Uh, breaks in, but um, you are right, Jeff. We were talking about Jaron Reed, and I honestly don't remember. Oh, most underrated player. I was that's how yeah. I got. Um, okay. I, I lost track for a second. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say Ty Lockett is still pretty underrated, um, given given how good he is. But, but I hear you, and I, I think Will Disley is probably underrated. I could keep going, but um, so Jaron Reed. I wrote after the Russell article, uh, Russell signing that for me, this is before the Frank deal. Jaron Reed was my my preferred priority from a signing perspective. I think finding a young interior defensive lineman that can create double digit sacks and is durable has played and you know had very little injury issues, not even like played through injury. He's just been healthy for the most part can play the run and be a pass rusher and is already establishing himself as a team leader, um, you know, from, from the get go, like sign me up. Like that's a, that's a foundational player that there's not a lot of question marks about other than the fact that, you know, I don't think you can expect double digit sacks from Jaron Reed every year. You know, I I don't think that it's just going to like be some linear thing where he's just going to keep going up, but he's shown enough to me where, to me, he's a higher priority to sign than Bobby. I mean, I still think they should trade Bobby. All right, all right. Tell me, tell me why. 
because all of the reasons to trade him are still true. He's going to be old. <laughs> um, I was looking at um, kind of linebacker career um, trajectory, and most linebackers don't make it past 30 um, at a high level. Um, those guys are pretty few and far between. It's like Ray Lewis and Zach Thomas and maybe one or two other guys, but it's just not common for middle linebackers to maintain a high level of play past the age of 30. Um, in fact, there's a pretty steep cliff at 30. Um, so I think you still have the, I mean, the question is still, what do you actually get for Bobby? Right. If is it really just a fourth round pick, then, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense, but if it's a third round pick, if it's a second round pick, um, you know, Clark just exceeded our expectations by quite a bit. I don't, you, he's not going to approach that kind of a deal, but maybe you can get more than you think. Um, I think you do it. Walla Gittin's good. How dare you? I'm How sorry, these guys, dare you? Football How careers are short. Bobby Wagner is a franchise, roster, player, team, executive, employee, leader. We're not trading he Bobby was, Wagner. He was that. And no, he probably he will is be that. that. He, he probably will be that this year. But will he be that the year after? Will he be that the year after? Are you going to give him this likely. Team? You have to give him, like, the C.J. Mosley contract next year. Done. So I'll, I'll, I'd offer it to him right now. Are you really – are you seriously thinking about trading Bobby Wagner? Absolutely. You. They should do that. And they should have traded Clark not because of the Russell contract and not because of the upcoming potential Reed and Wagner contracts. They should have done it because it was the right thing to do, right? Now, maybe Bobby doesn't want the Mosley contract or maybe, you know, there's, there's possibilities here, but, like – if Bobby Wagner wants to be paid 17, 18, 19 million dollars a year for his age 31, 32, 33 years, uh, seasons, those that's going to be a bad contract, almost certainly. Not certainly, but almost certainly. So they should probably try to get while the getting's good. That front seven without Bobby Wagner is the worst is the worst in the NFL. Probably. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I I would I've been right next to you on this, Nathan, from the get, and and I've been pretty unflinching on staying with it. Part of me thinks like you said, get why the getting's good. I think the get the good's already gone. I, I don't know that I, I don't know like if the choice is signing Bobby to a couple years, you know, two to three year extension um, for a lot of money, or getting like a sixth round pick for him or some kind of like super low pick. I, I'm not convinced that that kind of deal is good. Like, and I'm not sure. I'm also not certain people are like, Oh my God, you get more than a sixth. I'm not sure you would like, so I, I don't know what his compensation would be. If you're, if you could tell me that you could get like a third for Bobby, then maybe it starts to be interesting. But even then I just, I, I'm kind of, I'm wavering on this one for the first time. Um, and and I think if I'm reading the tea leaves, regardless of what I think or prefer, I think they're going to sign Bobby. I'm going to be sticking around. And I think he wants to be here. And I think Bobby would tell you that he believes middle linebackers play a long time and that they sustain their their uh, their level of play. We'll see. Um, but I, I expect Bobby to be right. This is the worst take in the history of this podcast. Oh my god! I don't know and that, that includes my food takes. That includes my opinions on food. 
Evan, have have you burned anything or tattooed anything yet? Because there's a lot of I have questions. no idea what you're talking about. What, I know. Wait, could you could you pull up the tweet <laughs> on my tweet history? I'm sure somebody's got a screenshot of it. Oh my god! We, we talk about Evan's Twitter. Anybody, anybody could anybody could Photoshop the screenshot. Pull up the tweet, Brian. Are you tweetscaping like manscaping? Like you're you're now like. Your your un untoward zones and 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 Twitter. You and know, I literally had to pay actual money to delete my entire Twitter history. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. There because you can only delete 3,200 tweets at a time. There was some like database <laughs> issue, so it was like four dollars to delete everything. <laughs> Why did you delete all your tweets? Have you seen his tweets? <laughs> They're valuable. They're There's an archive. There's an archive. I stored them safely in precious, precious safe places. That's so selfish. What about the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, we can pay four dollars for that archive. Pay to play, baby. Yeah, can patrons get access to your tweet archive? You know, I'll send them a zip file. Okay. All right, that might be value for you know Ben's fund might be getting more more money next year. Um, yeah, I, so I mean, my point here is, I think that they will go to sign Bobby next because that's the the respectful thing to do. But if I'm looking at what the priority is for this front office, I think they should be figuring out what the Jaron Reed deal is first. And if then after they do that, they realize, I don't know that we have the money to sign Bobby then I would be more motivated to, to potentially take less than I would have before. If you sign Bobby and by doing so, you can't actually secure Jaron Reed, you know, like you don't find a, a deal that you, you're comfortable with. I think you've really bungled things. Like I don't think this team with Bobby for the next three or four years without Jaron Reed is, is at all on the right trajectory. They need someone in the middle of that line. Um, so, just to interject real quick, after the Russell Wilson extension, we're looking at $65 million in cap space for 2020, just FYI. And your point being? They can extend both Bobby and Jaron, no problem. What are you expecting the Jaron deal to be? Probably like, I want to say like 14. I know that's like pretty high, but I think he would balk at anything like low teens. But I, I could see like, He's not like a product. He's not like a pass rusher. You know what I mean? He's a DT. He's not a Frank Clark. Um, he's not going to And The reality is, is I don't think he's going to put up like 10 to 13 sacks every single year. He'll probably, he'll probably hit like seven to 10, 11, you know, that kind of ballpark every single year. I think, I think 13 or 14 sounds right. So do you want to pay him after a 10 sack season or do you want to see him do it again without Frank? What's I want to see him do it again. That's uh, the idea that he's even a seven sack player, I think, is a reach. I mean, um, he's probably going to be back down in four or five. You know, I think seven will probably be the highest. It, it, it would not shock me if he doesn't get seven sacks in a single season the rest of his career. Yeah, I really like Jaron. I'd just be weary about paying him now at his peak value coming off like Frank's crazy season, which definitely helped him. I want to see him what he does kind of on his own. Just to give well, him so is, is next year next year is the one year before he'd be a free agent, right? He has two years left on his deal. Is that right? Yeah, I think he's up after the season. Oh yeah, he is after 2019. Wow. Yeah, him and Bobby. 
and Frank were all going to be due and Russell. Yeah. They do have that franchise tag at their disposal now because Russell's done. They do. They do. Um, And that's the other path forward with Bobby is, you know, you let him play this season and you let him walk and get a comp pick for him. You know, you do the Earl Thomas approach. Um, if, no, if don't do anything what they did with Earl Thomas. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at least they got something for Earl. I mean, yeah. well, they got 12 picks next year, right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, including a third for Earl. So, um, yeah, I think Jaron Reed to me is more like a 10 to 12 million dollar player, and I'd be comfortable paying him in that range. And I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's out of out of realistic, um, a realistic scenario for what they could sign him for. So I do hope they sign him and extend him right now. Um, I like that he's showing up to camp. He's, he's being the, the player that and the leader that, that we've seen. Um, I think he's proven before. So, uh, yeah, I, I hear Jeff, you and, and Nathan on paying him, not paying him at his top value. The other way about that is if you guys are wrong, and he does have a good year this year, you're going to be looking at a lot more than what we're talking about right now. I think there's a case to be made of the negotiation. Oh, like you've made, you've had one good year from a pass rush perspective. You had Frank, you have all these things you guys are just talking about. We're going to pay you above what you've earned because we believe in you. And that's 10 or $11 million a year. Like if, if they have to go and pay him, like he is a proven quantity at the defensive line position then then maybe you had your bets but i mean if, if you're talking about 12 million dollars for him though you're already paying him that way 12 million dollars is uh one two three four five six seventh most for uh four three defensive tackle according to over the gap so yeah, that's that's right now i mean it, that that's gonna quickly be the i mean tyler lockett was like the seventh or, you know, he, he, you know, and that quickly became like the 20th or 30th, you know, highest contract. So like, as long as you're not set in market with him, I think that's okay. And I I think that's like tier 1A, 2B, you know, 2A kind of thing. Um, This really reminds me of the Tyler Lockett situation where they extended him. You know, we hadn't seen a good year from Tyler Lockett due to injuries, like a fully 100% year for a couple of years since his rookie year. And then obviously we know what happened in, in 2018. My fear is, like Brian just said, if Jaron produces another 10-sack year, that boy's looking at big numbers. Yeah, but then you got a guy the that's produced 10 sacks from the defensive tackle position in back-to-back years. Like, yeah, he's going to make a lot of money and he'll probably have earned it, right? I mean, so... The thing with Lockett, I think it's different too, because I mean, I, the Lockett contract was risky, but it was risky because we didn't know if he was going to get back to full health. They obviously had more insight into that, um, and they were obviously proven right on that. Um, but Lockett had shown it um, and had not done anything um, like out of expectations. Like Lockett was a really fast you know, receiver who made a bunch of plays, like that was exactly what you thought Lockett was going to be. Um, I don't think you would have found anyone, you know, when Reed got drafted saying, oh yeah, this is a, you know, Geno Atkins, you know, 10 sack, double digit sack guy. Like that's not who Reed was thought to be. In fact, I think when they drafted him, they touted him as the best run stuffing defensive tackle, not a pass rusher. Um, so I think that there's, 
even more so than lock it, there's more reason to kind of slow play read. Yeah, and looking at these uh, numbers for over the cap, Evan mentioned it's like 65 million. It could actually be closer to like 99 million in cap room because the two highest paid guys below Russell are Cam Chancellor at 12, who's not going to be on the books by 2020, and Doug Baldwin at 11, who it's hard to imagine him being back again in 2020. Then there's also KJ Wright and Ed Dixon. You can knock off almost 10 million between those two. So right there, that's almost 40 more million they could add in cap room just for next year. So that's almost 100 million after paying Russell. And what's Mingo? Like he's five, right? That's another easy five. You know, yeah, you can get seven million just from those two this year. Well, yeah, yeah those were two-year deals. So yeah, Mingo won't. Mingo is free agent after 2019. Why is he on the roster? Um, oh, so I guess he was already included. I think in he's Kendrick's there. insurance right now. I think if Kendrick's that gets that's cleared, right. yeah, we'll see. Um, but but look, I, I you know I, I definitely see this one differently. I, I think that they need to they need to buy in advance as where possible of of potential increased production. I don't think that they can afford to be paying looking backwards um, and they're going to have to make some bets. So one of the things they're going to have to bet on is, you know, draft picks and doing that well and getting some cheaper talent surrounding their, their quarterback, who's, who's got the highest, um, you know, the, the largest contract in the NFL right now. And the other is I think they're going to have to pick their places where they pay ahead of, and anticipate where a player's trajectory is going to go. And Jaron Reed to me is a guy that I'd bet on. I would bet on right now. I'd pay him now. I don't think that you're, I don't think you're paying at his top value. I think he has potential to be a consistent performer. And maybe that's where the three of us maybe see it a little bit differently. I'm talking about Jeff and Nathan and I, um, I don't think that you can at all count on anybody being like any defensive tackle being a, uh, other than like Aaron Donald being a, consistent double digit sack guy chris jones might be in that category but i think jaron reed showed that he could be a seven to eight sack guy with some consistency and i think that's hugely valuable um and in the defensive interior and and for all the other reasons i mentioned i would i would buy now on him my answer might change if uh uh if it's in the 15 million range that's that's kind of crazy money for for what he's proven i don't think he's proven enough to, to do that so um all right, we've been on for a while. Uh, uh, the only thing we haven't really talked about that I can think of is the Russell deal. Um, you know, Evan, let's start with you just quickly as we're wrapping up on this. What, what's, what was your take on the Russell deal? Um, you know, how did you feel when, uh, when Russell uh, found his new money and his new voice? Yeah, how did you yeah. Feel about it, Evan. Yeah, quick high-level overview. Four years, $140 million, uh, $65 million signing bonus, $70 million fully guaranteed. So that's $65 million signing bonus plus the five-year, or not the five-year, the $5 million uh, in base salary of 2019. Uh, he sees $107 million in total guarantees, which is code word for injury guarantees. So if he dies tomorrow, or no, if he tears his ACL tomorrow and he never plays football again, he gets 107 million. So the high level, you know, quick bullet points we should hit is number one, the Seahawks preserve their structure of not guaranteeing any base salaries beyond year one, only year one, 2019, that five mil base salary is fully guaranteed at signing every other base salary. Um, 
is not guaranteed 100% fully guaranteed at signing. And the way Russell and his agent were cool with that was they're getting 50% of the deals value in year one in cash to Russell Wilson. Think about that $140 million deal, Russell Wilson for cash purposes, not for cap purposes, for cash purposes, like money going to Russell Wilson's wallet. He sees 70 million year one. So that's a big, big deal from a cash flow perspective. Um, that, that $65 million signing bonus is all paid out year one to the player. Well, actually, technically that's not true, but just pretend it's true because oftentimes that those payments are cash deferred into different years, but it's prorated equally over the cap over five years. So um, yeah, great deal for the Seahawks. Very good um, that it wasn't his base salaries aren't tied to any growing percentage of the cap, as we know, with uh, gambling potentially being legalized in the next few years, we could see, you know, the cap skyrocket. We've seen $10 million gross, $11 million gross year over year. We could see, I don't know, double, triple that if if gambling is legalized. We have no idea. Revenue could explode even more so with, with the, the amount of cash that gambling would inject into the NFL. So it's a big, big deal, I think, for both sides. Russell Wilson's going to be what, like 35 by the time this contract is over. If you don't feel comfortable giving him another extension after this, you could probably just tag him another couple times. You know, he'd be 37, 38. I think this might be weird to say, but I could see this being Russell Wilson's last um, normal extension with the Seahawks. And that's weird to say. Why? Wait, I don't understand. Why? Because if he, you know, if he slows down athletically or anything by 35, you know, they don't have to commit to another four-year, five-year deal with him. They could just tag him, you know, for a couple years straight, and then he'd be 37. And, you know, that's up there. You know, who, who knows what Russell Wilson looks like at 37? You know, seven years is a lot of time in the NFL. He could have injuries, you know, whatever. He could slow down. I, I think this could potentially be the last prototypical extension. Now he he after this deal um, was was shown with three chains. Um, how many how many chains do you think he will have by the next time he signs a contract with the Seahawks? I hope it's a few more rings, not chains. Yeah. Um, that's the right answer. That's the real answer. <laughs> Jeff, um, yeah, I, I saw this deal as as more than just um, more than just the money. Um, I think this was a this was a crossroads moment for the team, and I do believe there was a real potential that this deal was not going to happen, and that they were going to, instead of maybe Frank getting traded, we could be talking about a Russell trade. <laughs> like that, that was as crazy as it sounds. That was possibility. Now that that's no longer the case, this is Russell's team. They're going to build around him. He's got a contract that I think outlasts John or Pete um, in terms of what's going on right now. Um, highest paid player in the league. Um, I think there's a lot of the players that, that, uh, you know, the detractors in the locker room, um, have left or are leaving. And I think that this could be the dawn of a, a new, more harmonious, different, uh, locker room and different feel, um, about what this team, how this team operates. And I'm curious, like, what were your thoughts about not so much the money, but just about what this means to to the Seahawks and and the future? Oh, I think it was completely reinvigorating for me as a fan and just for the entire just for the entire fan base. If you remember when we were on 
the day of the deadline, none of us were over 50% thinking it was going to get done. I think some of us, I was under 10%. So I was pretty down about where the Seahawks were as a team. We were talking about Russell trades that night. It really seemed just the way things were leaking in the media that his exit was kind of being, I didn't, that Kirk Cousins route just seemed like such a bad scenario for both sides where there was going to be all those leaks and it was going to be a rough two years. And to get him done was such a win for the team. And it was, Evan went over why it was a win for the player, but it was just such a win to kind of just get that cornerstone back and all that talk about whether Russell wanted to stay in Seattle and that no trade clause was proof that that was bullshit. So it was just, the deal was just fucking awesome. It was, I didn't stay up till 12 at night, your time. I, I went to bed. And to wake up and see that was really, to me, that really just sparked, kind of re-sparked my just kind of passion for the Seahawks. It really got me pumped up again because they haven't made a move like that in a while. And really just the fact that they got it done at that deadline, it kind of showed they're still competent. And when you had that Frank Clark trade and what John Schneider's done in the past week, it's been just inspiring, or not inspiring, just reinvigorate my excitement for this team because I was pretty down on where this team was. It just seemed like they were like meddling towards nothing. And if they didn't sign Russell on top of that, that really would have made me anxious. So getting it done just at the right rate and seeing all like the support from the team and all his teammates, that really that really just invigorated me as a fan. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said. And um, you look at the fact that the team didn't have to break any new ground contractually. This wasn't tied to the percentage of cap. They didn't have to guarantee money that you know beyond the years that they normally do. Um, Russell got what he wanted in terms of the, the top paid player and that point you made about there were signs in this that both the Seahawks were going to commit to him by giving him this much money and that Russell was going to commit to the city and to this team by having a no trade clause and that he wanted to be here and to not demand some of these. Those were the conversations we were having. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think those two things together just by themselves are are. are a really powerful signal of where where the team was. Nathan, I'm gonna give you the last word here. Um, you know your feelings about the deal, and then you know maybe zoom out a little bit to you know the off season in general um, and, and where what your feeling is about how this off season has, has gone so far for Seattle. Uh, I like the deal. Uh, I like Russell Wilson. I think he is good, and I'm glad he's here for four or five more years. I think it's uh it's just the simple kind of slam dunk kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah. Um, in terms of the off season, I mean, it's gotta be like a plus at this point. Um, they, uh, took a cautious approach to free agency, which I think was smart. Um, you know, when we, when we did a free agency recap uh, podcast, there wasn't anyone out there that we were like, Oh, you know, I wish Seattle had done that deal. Um, uh, they were protective of their comp picks. They locked up a franchise quarterback for you know several more years. Um, they made a tough decision on Clark, but the right one, and they got a great haul for it. I think more than anyone was really expecting. Um, and so you know now they've got to go work the draft and stuff, but um, they're set up really well right now. Um, you know, uh, of course I'm biased on all this, but uh, and I have my own opinions, and who knows if I'm right or wrong? I'm, I'm wrong a lot, um, but they did everything that I wanted them to do pretty much. Um, I can't think of really anything where I had a complaint or I thought it was the wrong, you know, 
it was bad process or anything like that. So um, I don't have any complaints. I think that they did a great job. This Clark thing is going to be hard um, this first year, especially as, you know, the rookies, you know, kind of learn and grow. Um, and Clark is very good and he's going to a very good team. Um, so it's going to be really easy to second guess this one um, right away. But uh, I think it was, like I said, the absolute right thing to do. And I think they've set themselves up really well for the future and I'm really happy about it. Well, there you go, folks. A plus offseason so far the, on the eve of the draft um, from Nathan Ernst, who is a difficult grader. So uh, that's meaningful. And I, I can only imagine that that's a little tough for Evan because it leaves him no room to go higher. Like, you know, there's, there's nothing above A plus. And, and you know, that, that's going to be something Evan's going to have to think about for a little bit. Um, How many wins are the Seahawks going to take home in 2019, Nathan? I don't know. I think they can win nine or ten again. I don't think that's hard to see. Thirteen um, is bottom line. <laughs> they're gonna have to. Uh, they're gonna. Ha- they're gonna have to pass more this year. They're gonna have to. Like, <laughs> I know that. Like, I don't want to get into it already, but like, they their defense just got worse. Their defense almost certainly will not be as good as it was last year. Like, thirteen and three, player. boys. 13 and three, uh, we're coming for it. They're going to have to make changes to get there. Yeah. They're, I think it's a hard schedule, too. I, hadn't, I didn't pay any attention when, like, just the teams came out, but I, when the, the actual schedule came out, they've got some tough teams. It could be a tough year, but yeah, I, well, I think they're a good team. Let, let's remember to cover schedule when we uh, after the draft. Um, that'd be a good one to, to tack on, so help me with that, guys. But, yeah, it's been a really positive offseason. A lot of heady decisions overall for the team, and – I think there's a lot of reasons to feel positive about the Seahawks being in as good of a situation as they could have been at this point relative to where they ended the season. Uh, and, you know, other than maybe some crazy scenario where really good players were somehow available to them for really ridiculous prices, um, you know, they've, they've made wise, pragmatic decisions. So Yeah, I actually found, I found a complaint. I'm docking them. They're downgraded to an A. Because they should have traded for for uh, Robert Quinn, especially now after you traded Clark, uh, he would have been. Uh, uh, that's the one. That's the one deal that they should have done that they didn't do. So, no A plus, just an A. Ah, uh, all right. We talked too long, Jeff. And don't draft a running back tomorrow. Yeah, like, tomorrow probably at all. <laughs> tomorrow is massive. This could make. I'm not going to give them an A plus yet, but if they crush tomorrow. This could be John Schneider's best offseason since 2010 or 2012. And it's been so far from that in the last couple of years. We crushed them for 2018 and 2017 and 2016. They needed a year like this coming off that Dallas game. And tomorrow, I can't understate how big this is for this team because there are talent issues. We just mentioned the defense. They need to get better. They need receivers. John, let's go, man. Yeah, well said. Well said. So – um, with that, uh, I'm going to try to get this pot up as quickly as possible. I might even do it, you know, after, after this and get it up right away. So, so folks can, I know there's a lot of requests for it to get up quickly. So you can listen to it, um, before the draft tomorrow. Um, that makes sense to me. And, uh, as always, you can subscribe to the pod. So please, if you haven't already do that on, um, YouTube, 
Also, you can subscribe either on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all those spots. It's um, Stitcher. It's, it's in all those spots. And if you haven't already, please uh, give us a review. It would be super helpful. Um, get people aware of the pod. Share it. Just tell someone about it. Um, all those things are great. And if you haven't already, sign up for Patreon. Um, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Be happy to have you guys join the crew um, and get a little more access to all of us. So, man, enjoy the draft tomorrow, everybody. We have reason to believe the Seahawks will actually do at least a few interesting things. Maybe they'll pick. We know they're going to make trades. So keep an eye on it. We'll be back Sunday uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific time to recap it all and uh, start talking about what's going to happen next season. Cheers. Have a great night. Go Hawks.